dementia is an inflammatory disease. Because what happens is those, those um, tau proteins and the tangles that happen in the brains of Alzheimer's patients, I'm talking about Alzheimer's now, those protein tangles are actually the body's defense system, immune system in the brain, defending the brain against inflammation. This is the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions Podcast, and I'm your host, Maya Acosta. If you're willing to go with me, together we can discover how simple lifestyle choices can help improve our quality of life. Let's get started. Nearly 6 million people are living with Alzheimer's disease in the United States alone. In the general population, brain function is going downhill. Concentration, memory, focus, creativity, and productivity All of these are suffering as our brains struggle to keep up with the demands that we place on them. There are also related issues such as the rise in other dementias and stroke, as well as depression and anxiety, something a whopping 17.3 million people in the United States struggle with. That comes from Team Shurzai. Join me today as Kate Kunkel, the international best-selling author of Don't Let the Memories Fade, a holistic guide to preventing dementia and creating a healthier, more vibrant future, shares with us tips on what we can do to prevent and reverse dementia before it's too late. As always, the full bio for all of my guests can be found on the website, healthylifestylesolutions.org. And also make sure that you follow me on social media. On Instagram, I am at Maya underscore HLS underscore podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome, Kate. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here with you. Well, thank you. Um, it is a pleasure for me. Uh, you probably know we were, um, when we exchanged emails, you said that in, in some ways, some of our interests, some of the content that we have on our podcast are very similar. And by the way, I do want to let the listeners know that you also have a podcast and you invite guests on the show to talk about brain health as well, like other things that we can do to enhance our brain or to prevent dementia. Exactly. Brain health matters. Yeah, it's everything I do is about helping people protect and enhance their brains. So that's the podcast, the books, everything. And I've enjoyed many of your guests. As a matter of fact, I thought I'd reach out to a couple of them because one of them, you had an individual speak about um, therapeutic dogs, basically the benefit of having um, animals in our lives. It's one of our most popular podcasts, yes. Therapy for dementia, therapy for any kind of mental health issues most of the time. And of course, mental health issues are very intricately uh, connected to dementia, the the likelihood of developing dementia. So it's very important to look after those things. And our therapy animals are a great way to look after it. Either the question was um, brought up or someone mentioned that um, as we age, it could even even be more helpful. Um, So I have, for example, I have my mother who's, um, gosh, I want to say she's probably 76 now. She lives with another sister of mine in Phoenix. And suddenly my mom finds herself caring for more of the dogs in the family. And so they're keeping her very busy and entertained. Everybody else works. So my mother is the one spending quality time with the dogs. And one particular one that's new to the family, my sister's um, dog, my mother and I, when we get on the phone, she's always telling me about Emilio, 
That's his name. (laughs) (laughs) And Emilio is learning this and he's doing that. And none of us had dogs growing up because our father did not allow it. Mm. So my mother actually didn't know how much she enjoyed animals until she had access to them. I'm seeing also that, or we learned that having healthy relationships and feeling that sense of love can also be good for us as we age. And I'm seeing that with my own mother. So when I heard that episode, it just really resonated with me. I said, I need to share that episode with my mom. She needs to know that there's tremendous um, benefit in her interacting with the animals now. So, oh, oh, I'm so happy. What a lovely story. I'm so happy to hear that. And you know what? That will hold her in such good stead because the being useful is also very important. That's why so many people, once they retire, if they don't keep busy, if they don't do something to to feel like they have a purpose in life still, they decline very quickly. So it's that's another great thing. Besides the companionship and the learning and the love, she's protecting her brain. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. So let's learn about you. I'm very excited that you will be talking about the benefits of music, uh, something that I've spoken about here before. How did you switch from being a harpist in Las Vegas to being an amen trained brain health professional? Yeah. So firstly, as a harpist, while I was an entertainer, that was big. That was how I earned most of my money, of course, was as an entertainer. But While I was there in Las Vegas, I began exploring the healing power of the harp because I was doing a gig once at a lady's house. It was an engagement party. And there was a couple there at the engagement party and his name was Steve. I'm sorry, I don't remember his wife's name, but they sat with me the whole evening. They just loved the music. And sometime later, about six months later, I got a call from the lady who had the party and she said, Kate, do you remember this couple? And I said, of course I do. You know, they were great. And she said, well, Steve is really sick. He has cancer and there's nothing they can do. And his wife has been asking him if there's something he would like. And he says, I'd like to hear that little girl on the harp again, (laughs) referring to me, of course. So, um, Michelle called me and said, could you go to their house? And I said, yes, of course I'll go to their house. You know, I'm happy to to do whatever I can. When I got to the house, um, the whole street was full of cars. His driveway was full of cars. And I go in and the whole family's gathered. Steve is in a hospital bed and he's only partially conscious. I didn't realize that he was that sick. I thought I was just going there to like hang out with them. But he was really sick and dying actually. So I went in and kind of got my stomach together and and went in and I grabbed um, Steve's hand and I said, Steve, it's Kate. I'm here to play my harp for you. And I, I like to think that he understood because he squeezed my hand a little bit. I'm, I, I believe he did. Anyway, I sat down and I played because I remembered he loved the old Irish stuff. So I played a bunch of Irish tunes and then all of a sudden, Maya, my energy shifted. Everything shifted and I wasn't playing songs anymore. I was somehow, I swear, I must have been somehow connected to Steve's energy. And I just started, I was just playing. My fingers were were doing what they're supposed to do, but my mind was completely disconnected from it. My heart was there. Um, and that went on for a good 20 minutes. 
And then as suddenly as it started, it stopped. And I kind of came out of my trance and I looked up and his wife was um, patting his brow and kissing him and saying, goodbye, I love you. Oh my God. So he had passed away. That's why the energy stopped. So that got me. Firstly, I had to pull myself together and try to drive all the way home again because I was so impacted by this experience. But um, I left the house. I went home the next day. I said to my husband, I've got to figure out what happened last night. I need to understand what that was. Mm-hmm. And so that put me on a whole research thing. And of course, this is long before all the internet and everything. You know, we didn't have access to all of that. But I got uh, exploring and I learned about how um, another harpist had healed himself from a form of Parkinson's. And then I got into MS and I helped ladies, a lady with MS. And that's how I kind of morphed. I wouldn't say switched. I morphed and did more of the healing work. And then my husband and I started working more in the healing field as well. And everything just kind of went that way. Like, I guess that's what I was supposed to be doing with my life. And then when my mom got sick, um, I realized that that was part of her healing or her her treatment because she wasn't going to heal from this. It was too late by the time we figured out what was going wrong. But it was part of her comfort level to, to hear the music And then when I realized how much diet and everything else impacted what was happening to her, I realized that that was how I had to take my life. I I needed to use those skills. I'd learned the the information I had from the healing music and add it to my arsenal of things that I could do for mom and anyone else with Mm -hmm. this issue. What a beautiful story. It's very touching. Um, not long ago, I had a guest who was featured in the documentary Going Ohm. And I don't know if you've seen it. Have you? I kind of figured because we, you, we have very similar interests and you're very, um, very tuned into that whole um, spiritual and energetic aspect of our lives, of who we are. And, um, you know, ever since then, I've paid close attention to how music affects me when it's intentional too, to kind of ground myself, to center myself, to calm down, um, because I have suffered with anxiety in the past. And I've heard you talk about anxiety as well. Um, prior to this incident with Steve, had you ever had, because it sounded like you you said it, 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 you were kind of in this flow, you were overtaken by this music, almost as if the energy was directing it all. Had you had that experience before? And how long had you been a harpist? I'm just curious, because I love music and instruments as well. Well, I hadn't been a harpist. (laughs) The whole story of me getting, would you like to hear how I even became a harpist? (laughs) If you'd like, yeah, sure, why not? (laughs) Well, that's also kind of a spiritual, it's it's very much a spiritual story. Um, I had a business, a very high stress business in California. And um, it's, it involved a lot of meetings, lots of them in the evening. And I hated what I was doing. I truly did not like it. And I felt like I was not supposed to be there, but I was there for whatever reason. One night I was coming home from a meeting. I li- we lived in Rancho Mirage, California. And there was a big, deep gully, like a wash between where I was at the meeting and where we lived. And just for a nanosecond, as I was driving home that night, I thought, 
boy, it would be so much easier if I just drove off this bridge. I just, it just, anybody who's had any kind of depression or anything like that, you understand. Of course I didn't, but it scared me that I would feel that unhappy and desperate. So I got home that night and I cried and I cried. And I, as I was going to bed, I laid there in bed and I said, please, if there's anyone out there, help me. I don't know what I'm doing here on this planet. And I don't think I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. If, if I can have some message, some signal, something that night I was given a dream. And in the dream, I was playing a harp. I'd never even seen a harp in my life before that day. And I remember to this day, 30 years later, how I felt at that moment in the dream playing that harp. It was absolute peace Mm. and knowing. So that morning I got up and I said to my husband, I've got to learn to play the harp. (laughs) (laughs) He's like looking at me like, okay, whatever. Fortunately, he was the kind of gentleman who, you know, whatever I wanted, he would try to make it happen. So it was about a month and a half later that I got my first little harp and it was a little folk harp and I picked it up and I knew that that was what I was supposed to do with my life. Mm-hmm. That that had something to do with why I was here on the planet. But before wow. that, I was a pianist. So I had played, it's not like I'd never touched an instrument before. But one day, one year from the day I got that little harp, we locked the door on the business and walked away. Like that, I knew that that wasn't my destiny. And one year after that, we started a seven-year gig at the Excalibur in oh, Las wow. Vegas. <laughs> Oh, fun. Wonderful. So you do you do have a natural gift for music. And so then you just crossed over to being a harpist. And um, so beautiful. I know our listeners are going to find a lot of uh, benefit with all the tips that you will share with us as we move on um, to talk about your story. But um, I do want to add, and we know this, you know, um, that playing an instrument can be very good for our brain. My husband not long ago, um, well, let's just say he re- he picked up the guitar again <laughs> after years of putting it down to teach himself again. And um, early in our relationship, I, I remember him just kind of asking. I, I'd work in one room. He's practicing and playing in another room. And then one day he was just like, isn't it annoying to you? Am I bothering you? And I said, what are you talking about? I love it so much. And we both love the acoustic sound, right? The acoustics of the um, of the guitar and, and just the practicing and the practicing going over is so soothing for me. And so I said, I, I even say even today when he's so busy, I say, honey, when are you going to play again? I really miss hearing the sound of the guitar. Um, it's so soothing. And the experience that you had with Steve, it is something that I would like to experience um, during my last few hours on on Earth is that I would love to transition in a soothing way with music. You know that there's a whole movement of harpists and other musicians who play bedside. Um, it's it's a wonderful thing. Oh, oh yeah, there. Oh uh, I'll think of her name as we we go through the meeting, but it's a hospice project, and they they have harpists and guitarists and others who go around and play for people as they're passing. Mm-hmm. 
Wow, I'm learning so much. Yay. (laughs) Thank you for telling me about that. I just know, especially when someone, and I don't want to get emotional, so, um, but when someone is... um, I can't even think right now. Oops. Signs of, like signs of dementia. No, I'm just kidding. I can help you. But, <laughs> um, but when someone, um, when that family has to make a decision of whether to keep someone on life support, for example, that's a time where I would want something like that present. Like if I had a family member who was suffering, I would oh. just want them to, because it just feels like the angels are just welcoming you home. Exactly. Yeah. So tell us about now this is I've never heard of Amen trained health professionals. So tell us about that program. His name is Dr. Amen, Dr. Daniel Amen. And he is he's a psychiatrist. Um, and he got very interested in he says that psychiatry is the only medical specialty where they don't look at the um, part of the body they're treating. Most psychiatrists never look at the brain. Wow. They don't. They only they only use, you know, the, their guidebook to tell them, okay, this is the symptom you're having. So you must have this. So this is the drug we give you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Amen saw that that was not working. Psychiatry is, is not working all that well. So he, because of his background, he understood that if you look at the brain, you can see where there are actual physical issues going inside on inside the brain that cause these mental health issues. So for example, if you are not getting enough blood flow and oxygen to certain parts of your brain due to a TBI, due to toxicity, due to poor diet, diabetes, whatever, whatever the reason, a different part of your brain may be affected because it's not receiving the proper amount of nutrition in the form of oxygen and blood flow and all the things that come with the blood, right? So he uh, began looking at SPECT scans, which is a special kind of tomography um, that can see what's happening in terms of the blood flow and oxygen to the brain. He has like 100,000 different scans that he has as a reference. And he can tell, we know that if there's something going on here in the prefrontal cortex, there are going to be issues with executive function. There's going to be um, a less likelihood of being able to make good decisions, that sort of thing. So we know that that happens. There are other parts of the brain that have to do with depression, with anxiety. You're more likely to be depressed if this part is damaged in some way. A lot of people who have traumatic brain injuries, for example, football players, soccer players, people who've been in car accidents, people who've been victims of domestic uh, um, abuse, those kinds of injuries can cause problems in the brain. Remember, our brain is really, really soft. Our skull is really, really hard. And inside our skull are bony ridges. So even if you if you have like a fall, even if you don't hit your head, you may fall back or you may have a, a rear end injury, like a, a car accident. Well, your skull's getting knocked around. Your brain is getting knocked around inside your skull. And that soft tissue of the brain can be damaged by the bony ridges in your skull or just by the fact that it's sloshing around in there, so to speak. So he understood that. And he created program. It's, we call it the four pillars of brain health the biological, psychological, social, and spiritual pillars of brain health. And that's what we use to help people overcome 
many issues. In my case, I specialize in dementia prevention. So the information that I use, well, I use the same information, but I gear it towards helping people improve their brain now so they protect it against dementia in the future. But it's all based on what we know actually goes on inside the brain. And that's how, uh, so that's Amen's stuff. Awesome. I like that you cover the four pillars. So it's Mm -hmm. like you cover all the areas that can contribute to not just the physical injury, right, but other ways that we sort of injure our brain. Um, And one of them is through nutrition. Would you like to share the story of how your mother suffered with dementia? Sure, sure. So my um, my mother had mental health issues all her life that were unresolved. So that's one thing for sure that I know contributed. Now that I can look back on it with my training, I see that that was probably one of the issues. My mother was also, I mean, she was a, a, she was never a housewife. My mother always worked. She was always very busy, very stressed. And she was also, I hate to use the word suckered, but that's really the word that I use by the food industry to convince women of that time that you could save so much time, you could be a better wife, you could be a better mother if you fed your kids this, packaged whatever it was, or canned whatever it was. And she she fell for it because she was not a great cook. She didn't like to cook. She didn't have time to cook. So ah, we can use processed foods. But as soon as I learned to cook, I did the cooking because I, I never I knew intuitively that this was not the way to feed people. So as soon as I could cook at about age 10, I took over that role. But she, when I left home, she did not eat well. She gained a lot of weight. So she had stress. She had a bad diet. She worked in a factory for many years that was making the foam that we use for car seats. Imagine the chemicals that she inhaled every day for a decade. So she's got that. She also has, I mean, there were just so many things. And she had cancer. I believe the cancer came because of the chemicals, but she also had cancer and she took allopathic treatment four times. She had cancer four times. So all of those things together, now that I look back on it, I can see that that's what contributed But we didn't know that when she was diagnosed in 2010. I had just also been diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis at the same time my mom was diagnosed with dementia. So that got me like, oh, I got to fix this because I'm not going down that path. So that's what got me um, following. But mom's decline was very rapid, I believe, because it was so multifactorial. There was just so much going on with her. And my father is not a caregiver by any stretch of the imagination. Um, And my sister was still working and I'm 5,000 kilometers away in Ecuador. So I couldn't do a lot to help them. But um, mom ended up going into a nursing home, which is the worst thing that could have happened to her. Because there they feed them, at least at that nursing home at that time in Ontario, Canada, they were fed what I would call slop. I wouldn't feed it to I wouldn't feed it to anybody. Um, And it was devoid of nutrients because it was just reprocessed nonsense. And it was filled with food coloring and they were giving them diet drinks and everything. And my sister and I, when I did go up to visit, my sister was always battling with administration to feed mom better. But I believe that that's why she, once she went there, she declined very rapidly and she was gone. She died uh, on Christmas uh, two years ago. But 
She had cancer again. She actually died of cancer with dementia. So advanced. I mean, she knew who we were, but that was about it. She couldn't feed herself or anything by that time. So mom had a, excuse me, a hell of a life, a hell of a journey. And watching her decline was my, my, my poor sister. I, I, I don't even know how she did it because she's very, very gentle, very sweet. And it must have been so painful for her. But And I was doing it from a distance and feeling all the guilt that you feel when you're not there when you should be. But mom's journey also, because I could see what had happened to her. And as I started learning more, I was doing my own research before I ever got involved with Dr. Amen or anybody else. um, I realized that the same thing that caused mom's issues caused mine because autoimmune disease has exactly the same risk factors, exactly the same. And people with autoimmune can very easily slide into dementia because it's the same risk factors. So I, I worked on myself. I could do something about me. So I worked on myself and I, I haven't had a symptom of the RA in seven years, I guess. Mm, Incredible. So it was your mother and her experiencing initially dementia that got you interested in doing all this work. Exactly. She's the reason I do everything. Oh my gosh, that's so touching. I love hearing your story about how you've taken this interest because of the story, you know, because of your mom, but also yourself, like you were able to reverse your arthritis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I truly believe that most people who have an autoimmune disease also have a really good chance of reversing it. It's not easy. I'm going to say that flat out. It is hard work because you have to learn, you have to monitor, you have to test yourself. You know, you have to get blood work. You have to see what you're doing. Is it helping? If it's not, then you have to do course corrections. If it, if it is, okay, then can I supplement? You know, can I make it even better? Because that's a whole, I mean, it's a whole education and it's continuing. I do it all the time. You know, how much stress are you getting? That has a huge impact on so many things. Yes. You're probably aware that Sid Nodder was here on the show speaking about inflammation. And you just spoke about that, you know, uh, inflammation and how foods contribute to that and also traumatic brain injuries and stress. So can you speak to us about that? Where does inflammation fit in this whole dementia puzzle? Dr. Bredesen, who I'm studying with now, I'm taking my next certification in brain health. Dr. Bredesen says that Dementia is an inflammatory disease because what happens is those, those um, tau proteins and the tangles that happen in the brains of Alzheimer's patients, I'm talking about Alzheimer's now, those protein tangles are actually the body's defense system, immune system in the brain, defending the brain against inflammation. So... And, and many other forms of dementia are also impacted by, but Alzheimer's, we can see the process because the, te- the proteins are a defense mechanism. That's why all of those drugs that attack the tau tang- the proteins and the tangles, they don't work for maybe, they might work, they might work for a short time, but then they, they, people who go on them sink very quickly because the body's immune system is saying, whoa, wait a minute, you took away that protective system. Now I have to make much more. So it goes into overdrive. And that's why people sink so much faster. 
we have to get rid of the source of the inflammation. It's the same with autoimmune disease. It's the same with diabetes. It's all about inflammation. So we have to really protect our bodies against that. That partly is diet. Dairy is an absolute, no, don't do that. Dairy is very inflammatory. Pretty well all red meat. And anything that's chemicals, all the chemicals. So think of the chicken that people eat and it's pumped full of chemicals. and God only knows what they feed the poor things. So that's also going into your body. Your body is defending itself against those um, attacks and creating inflammation. We need a certain amount of inflammation, right? We need, like if we get a cut or something, we need the inflammation to, to heal it. But then it's got to go away. If something stays, then that's a, that's a problem. And that contributes to so many diseases, cancer, diabetes, so many things. So we have to really keep an eye on them. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you touch on chemicals, too, because we we also had Kaylee Anderson come on. She's a registered dietitian who spoke about chemicals, you know, personal products that we use that could be dis- endocrine disruptors. And I was commenting that I stopped, I got rid of a lot of household chemicals a long time ago. I'm very careful about what I put on my skin and on my hair, but I've become highly, highly sensitive. And I'd love to know what you think about this, but When people wear a lot of perfume, like some individuals wear too much perfume or cologne, I have an instant headache. Like it's hard for me to tolerate that. Smoking, I'm highly sensitive to the smell of smoke. But I once read about um, how we really can't filter that out. Anything that we inhale, it's not like we have a filter to protect our brain. It goes right there. It's right there. It's right behind our nose. It goes right into the brain. That's why smell, a, a lack of a sense of smell is a, is a precursor. It's, it's a, a signal that you could be going down the path of dementia. We, we need that sen- sense of smell very much. It's, a, it's an indicator of problems. It's also, it's an indicator that we need to be careful. We have an innate system that warns us when things are not good for us. We just have to pay attention to them, right? Like the perfumes. I'm also, I'm like you a hundred percent, hundred. I just do not like perfume. And I'm telling you, I live in Ecuador and people love perfume here. It's like, like they bathe in it or something. That, so that's a real issue for me and smoking. Yeah. I won't even allow, I have a half acre property here. Nobody's allowed to smoke even on the property. I don't care if I'm not around, you can't smoke here. Cause I'll, I'll smell it. I'll come in on the property and I'll smell it. I wish I could wear a sign or have a little piece of paper that I could just drop in someone's purse. Like, please don't, because you're affecting the rest of us. Like, I get headaches big time. A lot of places now are scent-free zones, like hospitals. I wish they made airplanes scent-free because that's one of the worst places to to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So now I've heard my husband, when he gives lectures on atherosclerosis, talk about Alzheimer's and dementia. And if you want to kind of just clarify, but he says that most uh, cases of Alzheimer's are kind of not properly diagnosed. That is vascular dementia. Well, Alzheimer's is the most common type of dementia. 
vascular dementia and um, frontotemporal dementia. Those are the two next, and Lewy body dementia. Those are probably the top four, but Alzheimer's way above, like more than 70% of uh, dementia cases are actually Alzheimer's. But yes, vascular dementia is which is where the my father's starting to go because he had strokes and he doesn't eat properly. And of course, I'm not there and he won't listen to my sister. So he's just going to go down that path. There's nothing we can do. But um, he is, is going down that path. And that is definite vas- definitely vascular. He has many, he has stints in his heart and the whole shebang. But it is very common because they're not getting the proper blood flow and oxygen to the brain. So that part of the brain is going to be affected and it will manifest as dementia, but it also manifests as other things, right? It can, it can make them um, uh, moody. It can, you know, it can change the mental health status. You know, the psychiatric uh, impacts can be quite, quite noticeable for vascular dementia. So what can we do to improve our brain? You're, you're talking about blood flow. I've noticed that when I exercise, when I power walk, even when I do sort of like Wim Hof breathing exercises, mm-hmm. I'm feeling like things are moving, things are happening in my brain. Maybe I'm oxygenating. I don't even know how you say that, but... Yeah, you are. You're oxygenating your brain. Absolutely. It's very important. In fact, exercise, every everything I've studied from Dr. Amen, from Dr. Bredesen, exercise. If you're diabetic, you should be exercising. If you're depressed, you should be exercising. Everybody should exercise. We need to have about 200 minutes of exercise per week. And you can, you want to combine cardiovascular with strength, especially as you get older, you want to do strength training because firstly, that helps us be more stable, right? We want to have a good core strength. We want to have stronger legs. In fact, stronger legs are associated with better brain function. Smaller waist is associated with better brain function. So if you want to to do some strength training, but you want to get your heart pumping so that you can walk fast, but still talk. That would, that's kind of the, 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 the meter to walk fast, but you can still talk. That means your heart's going to be going and you can talk and breathe because when you're doing more than one thing at once, that's also good. So exercising while you're learning another language, like if you're walking with your iPod or whatever, do they have iPods anymore? Anyway, whatever you've got <laughs> teaching you another language. So for me, I walk on the beach and I study Spanish. Because learning another language, learning a musical instrument, those are great things to do while you're exercising. Exercising like something like um, table tennis, because you're also coordinating dance, where you're actually coordinating coordinating steps, hand movement, and perhaps with a partner, that's also exceptionally good. And also you've got heart or your vascular, right? So you want to do that at least, you know, five, six days a week. I, I try to do it every day. Sometimes I'll take a day off. Right now it's really cool here in Ecuador where we are on the coast. So I bundle up and I go power walk on the beach when the tide is out. Um, and that just the brisk air also, if you can do it outside, it's better because we're getting then the fresh air. We don't want to have recirculated air. Now, I know a lot of people in North America are dealing with heckish hot weather right now and you don't want to be exercising outside. But that's those are the, the best ways to do it. Also, if you can get your feet in the ground barefoot barefoot get get those nice microbes in your body you know we are so separated from nature most people you know they they never go barefoot we need to go barefoot 
we need to get our, our fingers in the soil. I have, I just started my new garden. So I'm like out there digging in the soil. It's very important. It's so good for you. We need those for our microbiome. I wonder also, and I, I do believe in, in grounding and in, in the barefoot uh, concept, but I wonder if that's why we feel even better when we are on vacation, for example, and we're walking around without our shoes, we're at the beach, we may be somewhere else. And we just have this overall sense of wellness when we're vacationing sometimes, depending on where you're at. Oh, I'm, I'm sure that that has a lot to do with it. Absolutely. Because you, most people, like you said, very few people go barefoot. Now, here where I am, a lot of people go barefoot. You know, we just on the beach. Um, but even people who live here and work here, they've been here all their lives. They don't go barefoot. You know, they wear their flip flops, even on construction sites, which makes me crazy. (laughs) At least they're getting in the dirt, right? They may not be walking barefoot, but they're not also completely encased in something because we really need that, that exposure to bacteria. The world is too freaking sterilized. We, we weren't meant to be that way. We need bugs. You know, we we need to be able to build an immune system. We need to be healthier. They did a really interesting study in Finland. Is it Finland? It's right next to Russia. Yes. There was a, a village there where everybody was sterilizing everything. They kept their windows closed. They kept their doors closed. No pets in the house. And the kids had such bad allergies. They checked, they compared, they, and they couldn't figure out why. If they're so clean, why should they be so sick? Why should these kids? They compared this village with another village across the border in Russia where they have the windows open, the critters come in and out, the, the kids are running barefoot, the windows are open to sleep. These kids had hardly any allergies. Why is that? Because you need the bugs. <laughs> we need the bugs. <laughs> that is true. That is true. So the things that we're talking about, lifestyle things that we can implement in order to prevent dementia, are you saying that dementia can be reversed as well? It can. Absolutely, it can. Dr. Amon's done it. Dr. Bredesen's done it. In fact, Dr. Bredesen just published another um, research paper. They had a couple of people with MOCA scores of like six, which is very, most is 30, right? So they were actually able to get people to more than double their score in a matter of six months. That's huge. That means that it's reversing there. And, and the other thing is partners have actually said, he's so much better. Or she's so much better. She, I, can't, I don't have to, you know, I don't have to fill in their sentences anymore. Those sorts of things. We can reverse it, but you got to start early. You can't wait till you're in stage four. You know, you need to start early. However, Dr. Heather Sanderson, um, who has a facility called Marama in California, where they use the protocols that Dr. Bredesen has created to reverse Alzheimer's. The whole, the whole center is built around these protocols of detoxification, of, of uh, good nutrition. They use Keto Flex. Um, and they have actually been able to, she was able, she didn't really think that it was a good idea to have this one lady come in because she was already in diapers and she was non-communicative. But they were actually able to turn her around enough so that now she doesn't need the, the, to be, have personal care and she can also form full sentences now. Do you know how huge that is? Wow. Incredible. That's, that is incredible. <laughs> so, so it can be reversed. Now you're not going to go back to work 
You know, that woman is never going to go back to work. She's not going to go back and manage her household, but she can address her own needs. She can say if she's hot or cold. She can say if she needs something where she couldn't before. My mom couldn't when she, when she died, she couldn't say anything. So it's, it can be done, but it's really, it's, you know, you have to have people helping you. And that's where coaches come in. If you're on a good path, if you're, if you're just starting to feel like, oh, I'm not sure I'm losing, you know, words sometimes, or I forget where I put my keys all the time. If you're starting there, get help now, get involved now. Don't wait until it gets where somebody says, oh, you have mild cognitive impairment, because that's actually stage one dementia. You don't want to go there. You want to catch it before that happens. Okay. So I, notice even in in my own self, uh, I'm in my early 50s now. And I recall even maybe even seven years ago when I wasn't as active with what I'm doing now, I was starting to forget things. Um, Even the word for doorknob, you know, like the basic things that you're like, wait a minute, what is happening to me? And then I got involved in this world of lifestyle medicine, of plant-based nutrition. And I started doing research just because I'm interested and suddenly I'm retaining more information. I'm learning not to rely on certain things. Like I, I enjoy reading. I always have, but now can something like that, because I wonder like, well, if I'm spending time on the computer and I'm researching, is that working for me or against me? If you're learning, that's a good thing. Okay. You don't want to be sitting eight hours a day because that's the sitting is the new smoking, right? Right. So you don't want to be sitting all the time, but the fact that you're learning something new is a good thing. It's like if you if you did crossword puzzles all your life, doing crossword puzzles isn't going to improve your brain. But if you did crossword puzzles all your life and then you learned how to do sodoku or you did some other brain training, that is going to help until it gets old. So you want to keep always learning something new, engaging your brain in a new way. Learn to knit, learn to, you know, something where you're doing something new because it makes your brain work. Yeah. Okay. And so I love this because uh, my mom actually went back to school in a way. My mother were originally from Mexico and spent she spent most of her life speaking in Spanish because that was her comfort zone, not because she doesn't understand English, but she decided recently that she wanted to challenge herself and she went back to school to kind of improve her English, her grammar. And recently she gave a presentation in front of her class. <laughs> she was so proud. She sent photos. She, you know, she had a slideshow. And um, and I have seen an improvement. Like I said, I could tell just through conversation that she's fine. She, when I can ask her about something from the past or something more recent, and she's able to recall. So I'm, I know that she's doing fine now, and I'm so proud of her. And like I said, the interaction with the animals, she's exercising. She has a walking partner in the neighborhood um, that is encouraging her. And I think it's just the more we talk about how we can take control of our health. The more we empower people to know that these you can there are things you can do right now to improve your health. I think that that encourages her as well. You know, what's a really good thing to do right now? What? Hum. Hum. One of the things that we we the, the, the vagus nerve connects our brain to basically everything else. And we want to keep it stimulated. We want to keep it active. And one of the things I teach in my book, The Musical Brain, is about humming. So when we, when we hum, we stimulate the, the vagus nerve. We're also um, sending us, ourselves into a state of um, parasympathetic nervous state. And that's what we want. That's the place we want to be for good health, right? Ongoing good health and to help 
you know, negate stress and so forth. So a really simple exercise is just, you can just hum anything, anytime. But if you do conscious humming, where you're actually thinking about what's happening. So you, you keep your body aligned. You want your spine and big, good posture is important all the time too, but keep your spine aligned, have a nice deep diaphragm breath in and then hum out and consciously pay attention to what that feels like. And then cover your ears and do it. Well, you've got those nice big headphones on, but if you if you're doing if you're covering your ears when you're doing it, oops, um, you are actually going to magnify how you respond to it. So humming, it's something we can do anytime, anywhere. It doesn't take any special skill. It doesn't take anything except your vocal cords. Mm, yes, I like that. Actually, since you're you're talking about that in the vagus nerve, um, I have spoken about anxiety. And, uh, and then you talked about how your mom um, suffered for many years with mental health issues that you believe probably also contributed to the dementia. Can you speak a little more about that? Why are we vulnerable if we're suffering with stress and anxiety to then probably, you know, develop? It's a higher risk for developing dementia. Yes, it is a higher risk. And it's the same reason that we're more susceptible if we are diabetic or if we are obese. Because those mental health issues have the same root as those other things. Most anxiety, most depression originates in the gut. Now, it could be because of a brain injury that can actually absolutely contribute or be the cause. But the, it's the inflammation that comes from that. And the, and most of our, the vagus nerve sends the information from our gut to our brain, right? So anything that affects the gut affects the brain and it can be different things. So if we have, and if we have stress, it also affects our gut microbiome, right? So, I mean, it's this big circle and, and it just goes on and on. So you have to cut it off. You have to stop that cycle. So I always recommend to people, let's start firstly by detoxing. We need to get rid of anything that's causing something to attack our body to respond to an attack. So we, we have to de detox in the first instance and, and getting rid of scents is the big thing that, that word fragrance, mm, not a good word. We don't want it in anything. <laughs> so yeah, anything with fragrance, but we, like you said about your cleaning products. So we want to detox because the same thing that causes the, 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 um, reaction in our body to those stressors, and those stressors can be mental, they can be physical, they can be toxins, they can even be mold. Obviously, mold is a big deal. But all of those things affect our body causing a reaction, that inflammatory reaction. We go back to inflammation because we know that the brains of people who are anxious or depressed do not have the same amount and proper blood flow and oxygen. We can see it in the spec scans. So we have to figure out why is that happening? Where is that particular person? What, what is the genesis of that problem for that person? So it depends. You, your depression could be because of uh, your microbiome. Your depression could be because you were hit on the head when you were six. You fall, fell down the stairs. Your anxiety could be because the same reason. Same things could cause that. So we need to get to the root. It's always getting to the root of the problem. And, and the same thing that causes anxiety and depression in the brain cause things that, that lead to dementia later in life. So it's not, I believe that 
the fact that that original assault on the brain and and it first manifests in depression or anxiety, it's that same assault that ultimately leads to the likelihood of developing dementia. I don't believe that it's the fact that you're feeling depressed that causes the dementia. Although being depressed means you might not make as good decisions about your health. You may not exercise as much, although exercise is the best thing for depression. But all of those things contribute to the decisions that we make that cause dementia that contribute to dementia. Now, there are some instances, like there's the APOE4, if you have two from your mom and your dad, you're more likely to develop dementia or Alzheimer's, you have like a 75% chance. But again, that's a chance. All of the things you do in your lifestyle can negate negate that. Just because we have a gene from our mom to get cancer doesn't mean we're going to get cancer. It just means that that is a possibility and we just have to use epigenetics to make sure that doesn't come into being. Yes, I get that. Do you currently have a program? I know that you reference your books. Do you personally coach one-on-one? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I also have group coaching programs because a lot of people, you know, it's hard for them to to financially do an individual coaching program. But I also have group coaching and I put groups together every four months or so. I use one that's called um, Tune Up Your Brain, which is a lot of fun. It's using the um, mindfulness and music uh, more. And then I have uh, uh, Eight Weeks to a Better Brain, which is what I built uh, Don't Let the Memories Fade. I used that program in that book um, to help people go through a program to help them detox, to help them, you know, with the diet and so forth. So I have a couple of different ways people can work with me. Yeah. Recognizing that not everybody can afford a personal coach. Mm -hmm. That is true. And you said mindfulness. And I I was remembering um, Alzheimer's Solution, Team SureSide, when they talked about how we multitask and we think that's a wonderful talent and thing to be to have the ability of doing several things at once when in reality that's working against us they're absolutely right can you talk about that mindfulness and how important it is i sure can it's a big deal it's a big deal i make a very strong um, practice myself of mindfulness mindfully eating is a big deal people often do so many other things while they're eating we need to appreciate and and pay attention to everything that we put in our body. Number one, because it it tells it helps our our brain catch up to our belly to tell us we're full. Because many people just eat because they're just not even paying attention and they're way past full. Obesity is a huge issue in in the country, in in North America especially. Well, it's an issue here too, but that's one part mindfully eating, but also everything we do. And I talk a lot about gratitude to be mindfully grateful for things that we can do, things that we have, people in our lives, you know, whatever. To be grateful is a huge part of mindfulness, in my opinion. Also, to when we're walking. Now, it's also good to exercise your brain while you're exercising your body, but it's also very powerful to just feel the the movement. Pay attention to that movement. I have a a labyrinth outside my window here, and I walk the labyrinth very mindfully in bare feet, and it's got little round pebbles on it, but then I can feel those pebbles on my feet with every step. And 
just little things like that, but being very mindful is very important. Yes, I agree 100% with Team Shirzai. Yes. So also, I'm curious, what drew you to Ecuador? Why Ecuador? Why not Costa Rica, for example? Um, I used to have a television program many years ago, and one of the guests on my show, when, when we shut down the show, um, one of the guests had a program here in Ecuador, in Quito, for expats. So he asked me to come to Quito to host the show, and I turned him down because it was about the time that my mom was being diagnosed, and I had just been diagnosed So I said no, but then when I met my current husband and he was talking about where to retire, I said, well, I hear that Ecuador is a nice place. (laughs) So we rented a car in Quito. Uh, We came down on vacation, rented a car, drove all around the country for a couple of weeks. And um, our second last day here, we stayed at a bed and breakfast around the corner. And we said to the couple, we've just really enjoyed our stay here. We're going to have to come back and see if we can find a place to retire. And the lady said, well, there's a place around the corner for sale. (laughs) And here we are. (laughs) Casas Pacificos. (laughs) So we have a small retreat center here in Ecuador. Wonderful. So are you still happy with Ecuador? Because I've been trying to convince my husband that we need to be expats somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Every country in the world right now is experiencing extraordinary things, um, and Ecuador is no exception. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a, a po- the poverty here can be overwhelming sometimes. I spent most of the first part of the lockdown raising money to feed people here because it was so bad. But on the other hand, I've fallen in love with my new countrymen, and I, yeah, I can't imagine living anywhere else, honestly. I cannot imagine it. Okay. Well, it's it's refreshing to know that you're there, you know, because that's been a fantasy of mine, really Costa Rica. But um, Kate, is there anything else you'd like to share with my listeners? Maybe something I didn't ask? I think you did an amazing job pulling stuff out and sharing your story, which is important, right? Because that's how people can relate. We all have stories. And I think just sharing stories and for people who are, concerned about their own health, the stuff that we hold inside can do a lot of damage. So, so if it's, whether it's a a coach, a life coach, a health coach, if it's a good friend that you can trust, just don't let it fester. I think, I think your story and mine festering stories like my mom, that's not good. It's not helpful. Mm -hmm. So that was, would be the one thing that I would ask people to remember that we it doesn't do us any good to be stoic and to hold on to things that sure. doesn't help. Right. And just, you know, I like the idea of remembering that we're on a journey when we take that perspective that it's part of our journey, that we're, it's never, we're, we're never going to be perfect in, in anything that we do, but that, you know, there are tools that we can pick up along the way that will enhance our quality of life. And I've always loved learning about people like yourself. Um, Like I said, I've been listening to your podcast and you have amazing guests and I find so much benefit in just, um, you know, what you bring onto your podcast. And now I have to read your book, of course. (laughs) (laughs) I would like people, everybody, because everybody can do this, is read the musical brain and do the exercises. Because I made that, it's a short read. It's all about using the things that we have at our disposal every day that can make make that first step toward being healthier, 
toward being happier, mm-hmm. to being more contented. It's so easy when we use the power of sound and music and silence mm-hmm. and silence. Mm-hmm. Thank you. What is the best way for people to learn more about you and to purchase your book or maybe sign up for one of your programs? Go, just go to brainhealthmatters.today. That's the best place to find me. And I'm on, uh, I have a um, Instagram and Facebook and all that. But if you just go to brainhealthmatters.today, you can find me there. And the programs are there and the books are there. Awesome. And we'll also include that in the show notes. Well, Kate, it's Thank been you. a pleasure chatting with you and learning about how we can take care of ourselves either to prevent dementia or hopefully be able to reverse if we already have any any symptoms of dementia. Thank you again for being with us. Thank you, Maya. The brain is incredibly resilient and we can help support the brain by putting these healthy lifestyle solutions in place. These are the ones that Kate recommended in today's episode. Reducing inflammation, and we know that nutrition plays a key role in that. So reducing inflammation, exercising more, doing things like dancing, um, also learning to play an instrument, being present in the moment through mindfulness, and even having a positive outlook on life, working with a health coach on that emotional trauma, on mental health issues that we have can also help us as we continue to age. So friends, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I hope that you found it valuable and make sure that you take good care of your brain. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions podcast with your host, Maya Acosta. If you've enjoyed this podcast, do us a favor and share with one friend who can benefit from this episode. Feel free to leave an honest review as well at ratethispodcast.com forward slash HLS. This helps us to spread our message. And as always, thank you for being a listener. 